Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Domingo Santana, ooh, I want to have ya. Tanakas, Fakakta, Jag, like Michael Waka, Polanco, and Franco. Friday and welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on February 11th. I am Frank Stample joined by Chris Towers. No Scotty today and if you watched our live mock draft yesterday or if you listened to the mailbag, you know that Scotty is struggling right now. So not on tonight's podcast. We had to call a bit of an audible here. We were going to do our shortstop preview, but we're going to change it up. We're going to talk about the impact of the DH in the National League. That has been confirmed. We have some roto category targets and late round category contributors. How's it going, Chris? Happy Friday, buddy. Good. I have to ask, Can one, I can't be the only person who sings along to the Kokomo song every time I hear it, <laughs> uh, and two... Can you hear my dog playing with a squeaky toy in the background? Uh, Not right before. I just want to make sure. I might have to like, you know, go no, shush him. No, I, I think if it was really bad, I probably would have mentioned something beforehand. Okay. But yeah. No, I appreciate it. Look, every time I hear Kokomo, I might not be singing it, but I'm I'm bobbing along. I'm bobbing along. And speaking Ooh, of which. I'm going to help you get into first place. Jack Battleball Data. Great. It's just. Strike oh, rates. It's so good. We may or may not have an updated Kokomo Friday coming soon. We're actually going to hang out with uh, our buddy Doc Crosser this weekend. So I'll get an update and we'll, we'll find out when that's coming. Obviously, no rush because we've got a whole lot of fantasy baseball Star left. Star of our softball team. Doc Crosser can play, man. He can play. Uh, Chris, did you catch any of Rob Manfred's press conference earlier on Thursday? Um, I, I, I caught the highlights. I, I saw the tweets and the, the stories. So I'm I'm hip. I'm up to what he said. Yeah, it was uh, interesting to say the least. You know, look, every time Rob Manfred speaks, you know, take everything with a grain of salt. Obviously, they're going to meet with the players on Saturday. And uh, as of now, Rob Manfred says that they do not expect to miss any regular season games. And he said they also need about four weeks of spring training to get everyone up to speed. So that kind of puts a hard deadline at some time around the end of February. So uh, they've got about you know, two, two and a half more weeks to figure this thing out. But if they don't have a deal done by that point, then we're talking about realistically missing spring training games and then obviously regular season games as well. And unfortunately, February is the shortest month of the year. So <laughs> that's true. That there is you go. that is a factual statement. All right, Chris, let's jump into this universal DH because uh, upon Rob Manfred speaking, one of the things that he confirmed is that there will be a universal DH, which you know we all pretty much suspected that was going to happen this upcoming season anyway. But, 
you know, maybe it's something we hadn't factored into our actual rankings yet or projections for this upcoming season. So uh, let's first start with the National League pitchers and kind of figure out, you know, who might be affected by this, if anybody. I, I think, you know, as a general rule, we should probably expect ERA to rise a tad in the National League for those pitchers and strikeouts to maybe fall a little bit because obviously they're not facing opposing pitchers anymore and they'll they'll face designated hitters. Not that there's a ton of amazing designated hitters to go around in the National League. We'll go team by team and and talk it out to see you know who might gain fantasy value as a result of this. But overall, I mean, they will be facing uh, more talented hitters. So I looked into this, Chris, and 2020, there was a universal DH for the first time, the shortened season, and the National League ERA was 4.48. It was actually higher than the American League, and it was the highest that it was for the National League uh, in any season since 2006. And routinely, the National League ERA is lower than the American League. Mm-hmm. So this is maybe a sign of things to come. Obviously, 2020 was like a weird season, and they started it right in the middle of July. So, you know, balls are flying out. So it also was just weird in terms of circumstances and other things. But I think if nothing else, you have to expect a little bit of regression for National League pitchers. Yeah, I think you certainly have to factor that in. Um the the one thing to keep in mind, however, is historically the American League, and historically I mean like twenty five years, which is basically the the era of interleague play. I guess it's been exactly twenty five seasons now. Um, historically, the American League has dominated interleague play, and I think that's because the the American League teams are built to have an extra hitter. That's factored into the way teams are going about building their teams, and so the strength of the American League DH tends to be a lot stronger than the National League DH. Um, Maybe that won't be true in 2022 and beyond because now teams know it's coming. It was a last-minute thing in 2020 and... Yeah, 2020 and all the uh, players were already signed and all that stuff. But my assumption is National League pitchers on the whole will have a somewhat easier... uh, you know, strength of competition or however you want to put it relative to the American league. But yeah, that, that gap is going to shrink, you would imagine. And um, I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting because there are multiple ways you can look at it. You can also look at it and say that nationally pitchers might be more likely to pitch deeper into games because they point. have, uh, you know, they don't have to get pulled out, pulled from the game in the fifth inning with, you know, a runner on second and one out when they're up to bat. But the loss of pitchers is a big deal. Pitchers are, I feel like we all know pitchers are, are poor hitters, but I don't know if that's like, if we, you can like really f- psychologically understand it until you actually like see it laid out in front of you. But pitchers are just collectively a disaster. Last season, they hit 108 <laughs> with a 147 on base percentage and 137 slug. They struck out 45% of the time. So even though they only represent something like probably 4% of all plate appearances over the course of a season, that is a pretty significant drop. Yeah, no, I, I <laughs> that's a really good point. Like pitchers are awful hitters. There's no doubt about that. You know, we get the occasional Madison Bumgarner home run. I know, I think it was Logan Webb who hit the last home run in the National League last year. So it's fun to see now and then, but most of the time, a lot of these pitchers, they go up there, Chris, 
bat on the shoulder, not looking to swing. And I get it. Why would you swing and put yourself at risk of injury? I, I believe that's how Zach Gallon actually hurt his forearm or his wrist last year for the first time. It, it was swinging a bat. So, uh, yeah, why? Why even put yourself at harm and, at, in harm's way? And even like Madison Bumgarner. He's this great hitter for a pitcher. He's had two seasons in his entire career where he was better than a league average hitter. Uh, last season, he had a 408 OPS. So, like, <laughs> it's, it's, they're bad. Even the ones that are like, oh, he's not that bad. Why won't you want to see Madison Bumgarner pit, hit? He's bad. He has a 524 career OPS. And I'm happy you brought up the possibility of National League pitchers going deeper into starts. And I think it's a good one because we see a lot of pinch hitting and double switches, so on and so forth. And sometimes that can limit not the high-end pitchers because those guys are going to go deep regardless. But I think, if anything, it can help that middle class of starting pitcher. You know, the SP30 through... SP 50 range guys like maybe Trevor Rogers, maybe he's given a longer leash to go deeper into his starts. Now uh, just national league pitchers like that, who maybe have some upside who can maybe uh, be rewarded with going deeper into their start. So I think it's a good point that you bring up uh, with that as well. What pitchers could be affected in the national league? Obviously I think all of them, you expect maybe a little bit of regression, but which ones uh, in particular, what might we see um, even more regression? And I'm thinking Chris, you know, Pitchers who routinely outperform their underlying metrics, they maybe pitch to contact more than others. Uh, obviously, you pitch to contact if, you know, let's just say uh, Nelson Cruz winds up in the National League or Eddie Rosario or Jorge Soler. All those guys are still out there. Kyle Schwarber, another one. Um, obviously, you know, those guys are going to do some damage. So uh, the first one, and hear me out, like Walker Bueller is awesome. He routinely outperforms his underlying numbers. So with the DH in there, I'm not mm -hmm. saying he's going to be bad, but maybe you take up the ERA like .20 or whatever it might be. So just something to think about. Marcus Stroman came to mind, Adam Wainwright, Anthony DeScalfani, and maybe Kyle Hendricks just stays bad now, Chris. Maybe. I don't know. It's it's still... It's hard to say because it really does make up such a small percentage of... Uh, the overall inning, you know, plate appearances against pitchers. And if you'll give me like four seconds to scroll down and I can try to find it. Um, gosh. It's all right. Take your time. We're hanging out. We're having well, a good I just, time. I, I, I should just keep talking. Yeah. But I feel like I might have scrolled past it and now I'm like <laughs> starting to, re you know, overthink it. Uh, so if you want to fill some air. Okay, yeah, Chris went to a concert earlier today. We were talking about that. It's a very interesting band name that you, you went to go see. What was the name of the band, Chris? Waxahachie. Waxahachie. Named after Waxahachie Creek. Okay, I, I know nothing about them, but uh, when you told me the name, I, I was a little interested. What kind of genre of music do they play? Uh, oh, you know, man, I cannot find it here. <laughs> um, uh, like a little country-inspired, uh, you know, Oof. okay. Pitchers made up 4,480 plate appearances for National League pitchers last season. Uh, Non-pitchers were 86,301. So that is right around 5%, if I'm doing the math in my head correctly. Yeah, that sounds right. because it, it's Right around 5%. Yeah. yeah. So we're talking about a very, a little under 5%, actually. So we're talking about a very, very small number of plate appearances or uh, Total innings, it, that number is probably, the, the ratio is probably higher among starting pitchers because 
relievers very rarely ever face a pitcher. Um, but yeah, it's, it hurts, you know, to not have a guy who's hitting, you know, who has a 289 OPS in the lineup that you get to face maybe once or twice, but I don't want to overstate the impact of this. You know, it's, it's marginal. It's, it's the kind of thing that one, we don't really like, it's, it's hard to, to predict that because it's such a small sample size anyway for every pitcher. Mm -hmm. And two, you know, maybe, maybe it makes a certain type of pitcher worse. And that's something that I'd be interested in researching, but my gut is you're not going to really notice it all that much. Um, so, you know. How does this affect National League hitters? Our buddy Ariel Cohen, follow him on Twitter at ATCNY. We had him on recently to talk about his very famous, I guess you could say at this point, uh, ATC projections. And uh, he had a nice thread that he put out, uh, out on Twitter. And the main things he mentioned were more plate appearances, obviously, for National League hitters. And leadoff hitters could add a few more RBI because obviously they don't have uh, the pitcher batting just ahead of them anymore, uh, you know, to turn the lineup over. So, you know, things are going to be a little bit deeper. We'll see more plate appearances overall for National League hitters. Who are the leading DH candidates for each National League team? Chris, I don't want to spend too much time on any one player or team, but I figured, you know, we run through and we see if there's anyone that stands out, anyone that's interesting. Uh, And we will go in alphabetical order. We'll start with the Arizona Diamondbacks. And according to roster resource, they have Seth Beer as their projected DH a-plus name, no doubt about it. The ADP, 487 right now. A solid prospect who hit 287 with a 909 OPS, 16 home runs in 100 minor league games last season. He hit 26 homers in the minors back in 2019. However, he is coming off of a dislocated shoulder. He had surgery for that in the offseason. And looking very deep leagues, Chris, you know, 15-team roto, NL only. I'm kind of interested because I think that there's a solid offensive player here in Seth Beer. Yeah, he is a, you know... A somewhat notable prospect, not necessarily a, a top 100 guy every year, but, you know, a top 15 organizational guy in a pretty good prospect system. So, yeah, I think there are things to be interested in with him. Um, the health does seem to be a concern. It looks like he hasn't looks like he hasn't topped 100 games in a season since 2018. Um, oh, no, 2019 he did. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, it's. It's a low stakes kind of thing. But yeah, there's definitely upside here. For the Atlanta Braves, Marcel Ozuna, someone that you know we've talked about a few times already this offseason. Uh, he last year was out for most of the season as he dealt with a uh, domestic violence situation. And uh, he's been given a retroactive 20 game suspension that uh, you know, obviously that he served last year. Uh, and as of now, it seems like he is going to be on the Atlanta Braves. Like things could still change. We'll, we'll see what happens, you know, as but spring their, training. Their manager did say he expects them. He expects Marcelo Zuna to be with them this season. Yeah. Scott's mentioned it already too. So um, yeah. it's expected as of now, uh, though it, it remains to be seen whether or not they'll bring back Eddie Rosario or Jorge Soler. Those guys are free agents as of now. Either way, if you've watched Marcelo Zuna play the field, I, I think DH is probably what he's best suited for. And uh, look, just from a pure fantasy perspective, Chris, I mean, he's an interesting player because we've seen the the highs are very high. He was the number one overall outfielder in 2020. Uh, and then last year, he played 48 games with a 645 OPS. So it's a lot of up and down. But if you catch Marcelo Zuna at the right time, uh, he could be a big profit. Yeah, he's a stack cast standout. Um, he's hit, hitting... <clears throat> 
hitting 281 with an 840 OPS over the past five seasons, averaging 89 runs, 34 homers, 115 RBI uh, per 162 games over those four five seasons. So if you're just talking about the fantasy value and you you know don't mind having a guy with you know his background on your team, there's there's not really like, there's no question he's a value right now. You know he's it, it seems like. Like two hundred twelve point point six, it seems like there's some concern that he's not going to play. And based on everything that we know right now, that's unlikely. Indeed, or it's unlikely that he's not going to play. It's likely that he's going to play. Yep, that's the way that it looks right. Right, looks right now for Marcel Ozuna. How about for the Chicago Cubs, Clint Frazier, who they signed to a low risk, potentially high reward. Uh, signing this offseason. The ADP is 414, so much like Seth Beer, we're talking about very deep leagues, NL only. He's shown flashes, 108 games between 2019 and 2020. Clint Frazier hit 267, 20 homers, and 844 OPS. That's a 27 home run pace over 150 games. And I'm rooting for the guy. Honestly, like, He's, he's dealt with some stuff last year, uh, very serious concussion issues with the Yankees. He was actually quoted saying that he was fighting for his life. So it, it was very serious, but um, I'm hoping that he can get an opportunity here, bounce back, get back on his feet, because I do think that there is a, a talented offensive player in there, Chris, in Clint Frazier. Yeah, I wonder what I'm trying to look up right now is um, how, you know, how much of that was, uh, was a result of splits. You know, was he... Primarily, so 120 plate appearances against lefties, and he hit. He only had a 667 OPS. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. He's had trouble staying healthy. I've never been a huge believer in him. Um, you know, when he was, how was he a top 100 pick last year, or pretty close to that? No, um, no, I, I don't. I don't think he was even. Cl- I don't. I I'm remember pretty, there being a lot of hype around him based on his 2020, and there was hype for sure. I I, I wrote him up as a breakout last season, and it you yeah. know it failed miserably. But I believe the ADP was like post 150 for him. Okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think there's potential there. He's he's certainly talented. I'm just not sure. It, it's a pretty long shot, I would say. For the Reds, as of now, it looks like Mike Mustakis will be their DH. The ADP 343.5, though. Joey Votto and Tyler Stevenson, I think, could see some run as the DH as well. It feels like Mike Moustakis is a forgotten man. I don't know that we've mentioned his name a single time this offseason. I'll be honest. Uh, during the third base preview, I actually did have to check to make sure that he hadn't retired. <laughs> that's where we're at on Mike Moustakis. That's, that's just because it feels like nobody. I, I haven't seen him mentioned in relation to baseball since the end of last season. Well, I, there's multiple reasons for that. He's, A, been awful from a fantasy perspective, and he hasn't been able to stay healthy. So since the start of 2020, he's batting 217 with a 717 OPS and 18% infield fly ball rate. So seems like he might be trying too hard for the launch angle, trying to put the ball in the air. Maybe he was someone that, you know, in his prime was helped out by the juice ball as well. Either way, he's going super late now. He's 33 years old. He still plays in Cincinnati. So another one of these just deeper league options where there's not really any risk involved. Yeah, the underlying numbers the last two seasons, especially in 2021, are really, really bad. Um, he went from a 350x Woba in 2019, the, the highest of his career, second highest of his career, 
to 335 in 2020 to 276. 276 expected Woba is very, 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 very bad. Very bad indeed. For the Rockies, it appears that Charlie Blackman will be their universal DH. Uh, but though they could shuffle some things around, they have Rymel Tapia, Connor Joe, and Sam Hilliard projected for the outfield right now. The ADP for Blackman is 217.5. The power came way down. Batting average was still solid last year for Charlie Blackman. He hit a lot of ground balls. So if he can uh, regress that back to where he's been, I think he could still be, you know, a 270, 280 hitter with 20 plus home runs, which I realize is not sexy. It's not exciting. But, you know, as a fourth or fifth outfielder, I think he's someone that can help stabilize your team, Chris. Yeah. I mean, he only had uh, an 814 OPS at home last season. Um, His road OPS was 713. I think you could probably expect that home OPS to be a little higher. 300 Babbitt at home. That's really weird, even for a guy. You know who you assume is having, uh, you know a a a dip in his underlying skill sets or potentially a collapse of his underlying skill sets. But he was better in the second half. Um, Sixty six games, nine homers, two eighty one average. So, you know that's a potential reason to be optimistic. I think he's a perfectly fine uh, value at his cost of two seventeen, and maybe you know Sam Hilliard's one of those guys who's got tools. So maybe the uh, the opportunity to play more consistently, maybe he can do something with it. He's fast. He's got power. If he can cut his strikeout rate a lot, uh, maybe there's something there. He's got a 37% strikeout rate over the last two seasons. Yikes. I feel like you had five different ifs for Sam Hilliard. But- well, I was, I was thinking like 30. I was looking at the number and I was like, well, like 10%. And I'd like, no, that would still be like a 33% strikeout rate. So he probably has to cut it like 20% to really be passable. Yeah. Um, and and that probably won't happen, but it's an intriguing skill set. Scott really liked him as a sleeper going into the 2021 season. So we'll see. We shall see indeed. For the Dodgers, Gavin Lux. We spoke about him uh, just the other day on our second base position preview. They do have some other options as well. Edwin Rios, people have wanted him to be a thing for a while. Had big power in the minor leagues. Edwin Rios did. They have some prospects coming in Michael Bush and Miguel Vargas as well. Uh, Max Muncie probably, you know, should DH, but uh, he's penciled in at first base as of now. So how do you think this shakes out, Chris? Gavin Lux, Muncy in the mix, and then some prospects as well for the Dodgers. Uh, one thing, I think Max Muncy's a great value. I think he's worth the risk um, until we hear worse news, at least. I think that's the case. Gavin Lux, another guy I've just never been a believer in. I've been lower on him than the consensus since he was a prospect, and the biggest problem is he just can't hit lefties. I mean, in the majors, he can't really hit anyone so far. His OPS against righties is like 700, but uh, he's been pretty bad for most of his professional career against lefties, and I'm just not sure he's going to fix that. All right, let's move over to your, our Miami Marlins. I, I, that's a National League team here, Chris. I, if you will allow me, again, allow me, to jump on the bandwagon because I seemingly just love all of their players. Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez. I'm about it, man. Trevor Rogers, Jesus Lozardo. We're buying back in on the bounce back by we, I mean, probably just me. Uh, anyway, for the Marlins here, we have Brian Anderson. I think Avisael Garcia could see some time at DH and Garrett Cooper. Garrett Cooper is actually a very solid offensive player when he plays. 284 batting average last year, nine homers, a 12% walk rate, an 845 
OPS, the problem, you know, he hasn't really been able to stay on the field. So Brian Anderson, Garcia, Garrett Cooper, who do you think benefits the most out of that group? One, the Marlins should probably sign a DH-only player, Jorge Soler and Nelson Cruz. Like, if they want to be serious and, and get their offense improved, that needs to be a big priority. However, Gary Cooper freaking crushes the ball. Sure does. Um, in 2020, he was in the top 10% in the league in expected Woba on contact. For his career, he has a 350 expected Woba. Last season, it was 362. That's really good. That's... um. That's probably like top 50, at least in the league. Um, if he can stay healthy and there's a DH, I mean, he's not really any good in the field at all, but the underlying numbers love him. And if he gets 500 plate appearances, I, I think he could have a a surprising impact. You know, he, he could be a 25 homer pace kind of guy with a 285 batting average. Even in a points league, if he finds consistent playing time with that walk rate and, and that OPS, I think he can be pretty valuable. I'll point out the splits last year. He was much better against lefties. 344 mm-hmm. batting average, 971 OPS versus a 258 batting average and a 793 OPS against right-handed pitching. But, I mean, even if he's an 800 OPS bat against righties, that's that's fine. I mean, that's actually pretty good. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, if he stays healthy, I, I think... I think um, Garrett Cooper is pretty interesting as well. For the Milwaukee Brewers, as of now, they have Tyrone Taylor penciled in, but Lorenzo Cain's getting up there in age. Christian Yelich with the back injury, I think, could use some time at DH. Your boy, Chris Kesson Hira, maybe gets another shot here for the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, but Tyrone Taylor is the one. I think he's kind of interesting. 247 batting average last year, 12 homers, 6 deals in just 93 games. So a little bit of power, a little bit of speed. Yeah, he um, his underlying numbers are okay. I mean, he hits the ball hard enough. He doesn't strike out much. Um, I don't think there's really much case for him to be a star, but he's a guy who, if he got 500 plate appearances, 20 homers and 10 steals isn't out of the question. So, yeah, I think he's I think he's pretty interesting. Kesson Hero, by the way, just what a fall from grace. It is it's sad. Honestly, I get sad whenever top prospects fail. And I know it happens often, but, you know, if it were up to me, everybody would succeed. <laughs> Obviously, it's a tough game. Tough game we're talking yeah, about Yeah, and, and, you know, there's been some talk I saw recently. He's been working on his swing this offseason, trying to get rid of or at least make the giant exaggerated leg kick, leg kick um, you know, a little less ridiculous. So maybe that'll help him with his pitch pitch recognition and contact rate. Um, But yeah, he's a mess. I mean, he struck out 39% of the time last season. He needs to really overhaul his swing. When he makes contact for his career, uh, he's got a 457 expected Wobon contact. And even last season, it was 413. He had a 15.2% barrel rate. This dude hits the ball really, really well. He just doesn't do it nearly often enough. Yeah, those big leg kicks... Say no more. I've watched Gary Sanchez's entire career, and it just completely look, throws it, off the timing, man. It turned Josh Donaldson's career around. You know, it's it's the kind of thing that, like, there was a period, like, four years ago, probably, where, like, everyone was obsessed with, like, oh, he's got a leg kick, or he's getting rid of a leg kick. And it's like, there, there's no, there's nothing predictable about any of that. Like, it's just whatever works for a guy. Yep. You can generate a lot of power with a big leg kick, 
Um, and in some cases with Josh Donaldson, clearly that helped unlock it and made him an MVP caliber player. You know, for other guys, not so much. Yeah, I believe Justin Turner adopted the same thing, mm-hmm. right? When he went over to the Dodgers. So, you know, it works for some players, doesn't work for everyone. How about the Mets? Uh, perhaps no team benefits more from the Universal DH than those Metsies. Robinson can know, but they also have J.D. Davis and Dominic Smith. All three have had their moments the last two to three years. Cano in 2020, he hit 316, 10 homers in 869, 896 OPS, excuse me. Uh, and last year, he missed the entire season because of a PED suspension. And I will not give up on Dom Smith, whether they trade him, they play him. I still think there's something there. What he showed from 2019 to 2020, he hit 299 with a 937 OPS during that stretch. I just think he's a lot better than what he showed last year. Chris, who do you think benefits most here on the Mets? I would think it's Cano. Yeah. Um, and I... I think he might have something left. I mean, the last time we saw him in the majors, he was quite good. And I know people will say, well, he was taking performance-enhancing drugs back then. But we've seen a lot of guys get popped for performance-enhancing drugs, come back, and still be good. Not many of them were 40. uh, But, I mean, Nelson Cruz hasn't been suspended for performance-enhancing drugs in a while, and he's still one of the best players in baseball, or at least one of the best hitters in baseball, deep into his 30s. So... I think there's a chance we got a bounce back season from uh, Robinson Cano. I'm much less optimistic about Dom Smith. We've got basically one year, and it was what forty games, something like that, where he hit like a, you know, like the where the underlying numbers suggested that he was a good hitter. Everything else is pretty bad. He's got a career three twenty five x woba. Just crush my soul, Chris, while you're at it, right? Like, just just let me have Dom Smith. Just let me have it. Yeah. Look, I'm like you. I I, I hope every player's good. <laughs> I actually have Dom Smith in the Scott White Dynasty League, and I was actually offered some solid trades for him. I had him on a, on a good salary, and uh, now that's, that's not looking so good. Matt Vierling is the projected universal DH for the Philadelphia Phillies, who uh, I'm not exactly sure, but I picked him up last year in the Scott White Dynasty League as well. 70, 79 minor league games in 2021. He hit 276, 11 homers, 10 steals, showed some solid plate discipline in the minor league, solid walk rates, makes a good amount of contact. I think he's kind of interesting. A name to watch, you know, the Phillies lineup. I, I think they're solid. I think they bring another outfielder in, whether it's Conforto or Nick Cassiano, somebody like that, Kyle Schwarber maybe even. Uh, but I think that they're going to give this kid a shot to be the universal DH. Chris, do you have anything on Matt Veerling? It's totally fine if you do Weird career. Uh, he's 25 years old. He's been in the pro, pro ranks since 2018. And he's played 293 games total over, what, four years. One of them was 2020, so obviously. But, you know, a li- very limited track record for a guy his age. When he got up to the majors, you know, there were some interesting things about his profile. 91.5 average exit velocity. Uh, 80th percentile max exit velocity, 93rd percentile, 95th percentile on average sprint speed. There are there are seemingly tools there, but it's just there is nothing to go on really. <laughs> you know, in terms of like his minor league numbers are fine, but they're he, you know he's played like 80 games total between Double A AA and Triple A. 
For the Pirates, they have Michael Chavis. They acquired him later in the season from the Boston Red Sox last year. They have Hoy Park, who they got from the New York Yankees. And they have a prospect named Mason Martin. Lots of strikeouts. Does have a good amount of power. Very low batting average as well. So you're probably looking at a three true outcome player in Mason Martin. And overall, just not someone I'm very excited about. Michael Chavis showed a little bit when he went over to the Pirates last year. Kind of like how Yoshi Sutsugo did. But... Overall, I'm not very excited about the Pirates, Chris. Uh, no, no, I don't think anybody is. <laughs> I'm, um, s- I'm sorry, Pirates fans. Specifically, you know, also about their designated hitters. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I, I don't know. We saw a bit of uh, of Hoy Park in the majors last season. He did not do anything with it. Um, and really, he's just got the one 66-game sample at AAA. The, or, or between AAA and AA last season where he's hit well. So I, I think being skeptical of him is fair. And yeah, Michael Chavis can't make contact. So yeah, I remember there. last year, every Yankee game where, you know, everyone just comes up, strikes out, hit in, hits into a double play. I'm like, call up Hoy Park. Let's see what the kid can do. And then he got a chance to play with the Pirates, and he he wasn't very good, unfortunately. For the Padres, they have Jerkson Profar penciled in as the universal DH right now, but I think Will Myers is a pretty natural fit there as well. I think Jorge Alfaro could see some time. Uh, They'll probably rotate Alfaro between, like, the outfield, maybe he'll catch like once or twice a week and DH here or there. And I don't want to forget about Hassan Kim. I, I know he did not play well last year, but he was a standout in Korea, especially offensively, so... One year under his belt, not saying you have to draft him, but maybe someone just to watch early on in the season and see what the playing time is there. The Giants, I wanted to bring up Darren Ruff because he actually had an awesome offensive year. 271 batting average, 16 homers, a 904 OPS, crushed the ball, Chris. Everyone on the Giants, whatever their coaching staff, their front office is doing, keep doing it because they figure something out. 14% barrel rate, and a lot of it did come against lefties, but he was adequate against right-handed pitching as well. Any interest very late in Darren Ruff? I'm just not sure he's he's going to play every day, even with a DH. But if he did, I mean, he's his numbers were the last season, the last two seasons are really, really good. He was better in 2021 than he was in 2020. In 2020, uh, and the underlying numbers support that as well. But yeah, certainly the way he's played the last two seasons. If he gets a chance to play something like every day, he's he's definitely going to be, uh, you know, at least having on your radar. Man, Darren Ruff is thirty five years old. <laughs> I I mean, it, it's crazy. amazing that Darren Ruff is still around. Yeah, like it, what a turnaround! This guy has like, he, I remember I, him being a prospect of like moderate renown a decade, you know, plus ago. Yeah, he went and, to KBO and reinvented himself. Yeah. No, so. he's been he's been really good the past two seasons. Shout out to Darren Ruff for making it back to the majors and making the best of his opportunity. I'm kind of I'm getting some Luke Voigt vibes from from Darren Ruff. Just you know, obviously like a lesser version of Luke Voigt, but I'm I'm kind of interested to see what he can do here for the Cardinals. Uh, they have Paul DeYoung penciled in right now, but I do like Juan Yepes and Lars Newbar quite a bit. They both crushed it in the Arizona Fall League. Juan Yepes in the minors last year, 286 batting average, 27 homers, a 969 OPS. Uh, Lars Newbar, a little bit of power, a little bit of speed. He makes some contacts. He was solid in the minors last year, and again, he crushed it in the Arizona Fall League. We had the Welsh on earlier in the offseason, and when I asked him about Juan 
Anya Pez. He said, don't forget about Lars Newbar. So he he likes Newbar quite a bit as well. And for the Nationals, uh, Yadiel Hernandez had a solid season last year. He's a little bit older. He's 34 years old. He came over as an older player from Cuba, but has put up some pretty big numbers in the minor leagues. So Chris, between these two teams, the Cardinals, Juan Yepes, Lars Newbar, Yadiel Hernandez, does anyone stand out for you? I mean, Lars Newbar stands out just because it's an 80-grade name. Yeah. It's one of the best baseball names in history. And yeah, the minor league numbers are... He's another guy who's only played 192 games. This is a weird thing about where we are with guys like, you know, the the middling, like, organizational-type prospects where we just, they've barely played. He's played 100, 250 games total as a professional uh, since being drafted in 2019, so we just don't have a big track record here to go on. Um, so, I, I don't know, like, I... There's the possibility that he could be a, I don't know, 15 homer guy, but not not terribly exciting. I think um, Yepes is probably a little more interesting. All right. Before we hit the break, if you're watching us live right now, thank you. We appreciate it. Subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already. For anyone who's just listening to the podcast on demand, if you want to watch any of our content, again, it's youtube.com slash fantasy baseball today. Subscribe and hit the notification bell. You'll get notified every time we go live or when we drop a video on demand. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we'll talk about roto category targets and a late round category contributors here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. All right, so shout out to Chris. The other day, he emailed Scotty and myself, and he sent us the uh, category targets for Roto Leagues from last year. So we have the averages of each well, really, we have place 1 through 12, but I'm going to focus on the first place, uh, obviously, for each of these categories, and this is in a 12-team Roto League played on CBS last season. So if you've ever drafted in a, in a Roto League and you wonder, man, what are my targets? What am I trying to get to by the end of this draft? This is it. This is exactly what you should be trying to uh, get to. You know, it's not realistic because it's first place in each category. Really, you want to strive for, like, top three in each category, yeah, and if you do that... For sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. Cause one thing that, that I also looked up today is what every first place team did overall, the team that won each league, what their overall results were and the average first place team, the worst that they, they, their average finish was, was just a little bit worse than third in batting average. Everything else, the average first place team finished at least third place or higher on average last season. Um, although it's, you know, worth noting that the, you really, to win, you need to aim for one more than second place. And the interesting thing is you see this every year in these results. The gap between first and second place is always much bigger than between every other, uh, you know, finish. And the gap between last place and second to last place is always, you know, about that wide, which is always interesting. Um, so yeah, the gap between first place and second place in stolen bases is one is 17. 149 to 132. Wow. So that that just, you know, that's to highlight it, you know. Yeah, so look, it would be nice to get to uh, 149 steals as you said, Chris, but you only need one more than the second place yeah, team. Yeah, you need so. 133. So you really need 133. So I, I should have calculated it that way, but nonetheless, let's start with yeah. batting average and the first place team needed a 272 batting average overall. That means you really only could afford one, maybe two hitters under a 250 batting average in your lineup because they're really going to drag that down. Keep in mind, you know, if it's your catcher, those guys typically are going to give you less plate appearances, so it doesn't damage your uh, batting average as much as, you know, a high-volume player. So, you know, just keep that in mind. If you want to punt a position, maybe a uh, catcher does make some sense in that regard. Some late-round category contributors, Chris, that I found, and this is using the ATC projections from our buddy Ariel Cohen. These players are all projected for a 280-plus batting average, and they're going around around ADP 200 or later. Yuli Gurriel mm-hmm. uh, at pick 198. He's projected for 280. Gene Segura projected 281. Uh, his ADP is 202.9. And Michael Brantley projected 291. The ADP for him, 250.3. Do you like any, all of those names, if you're looking for batting average late? Yeah, I mean the the knock against Michael Brantley would obviously be would obviously be that he's just not going to play a full season, and so like you mentioned with catchers, low lower plate appearance total or lower at bat totals is really the 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 meaningful denominator. There is, um, you know, he only had 469 last season. I think that's probably close to you know 500 at at bats is probably close to a ceiling for him. So. Michael Brantley, there's only so much help he can give you, but yeah, that dude hasn't hit worse than 299 since 2016 when he only played 11 games. He hasn't hit worse than 299 in a full season since 2013, 2013 when he hit 284. Uh, he's been one of the most reliable batting average contributors in baseball for a decade. Yeah. So, and we haven't really seen a, a big skills decline for him. The problem is it, it's kind of empty batting average at this point, right? So eight homers last year, only 47 RBI, and that yeah. was over 121 games. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's you, you get you get what you pay for, right? He's going as late in the draft uh, as he is for a reason. For home runs, you needed 345 homers uh, total to finish first place in a 12-team Roto League last year. That's 24.6 homers per lineup spot. Obviously, you have 14 lineup spots in a Roto League, two catchers, one of each other infield position. 
five outfielders, a corner, a middle, and a utility bat. So again, you need 24.6 home runs per uh, offensive player. Say you get 45 from Pete Alonso, you'd still need 23 per player for your other mm-hmm. 13 spots. Home run hitters who are projected for 30 plus and going around ADP 200 or later, Jorge Soler, Bobby Dahlbeck, Eugenio Suarez, Miguel Sano, and Adam Duvall. Obviously, Chris, you know, you're getting these guys later. They're giving you power, but they're also hurting your batting average quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, they're going, all these guys are going late for a reason. And, you know, you said the 23 home runs per lineup spot. Um, you know, even if you have Pilonzo, it's probably going to be more than that because chances are, I mean, how many catchers hit 23 home runs? Every season, it's probably not more than four or five, I would guess. Yeah. Um, so that that you really have to make sure that if you're going with a non-catcher who is a zero in power or even, you know, is a 10 home run guy that you really need to make up for. And the thing that's difficult with that is a lot of the guys who hit for a lot of power don't tend to hit for batting average. The ones that do are really, really expensive. However, that being said, like I said earlier, batting average was the category that uh, first place teams last season were worst in. So that is one place that you can at least somewhat um, survive when you're, if you have to sacrifice something. And the reason is obvious. There are four hitting categories that are counting stats. There's one that's a rate stat. So if you're going to be bad in the rate stat, at least make sure you got a lot of guys who play every day. You don't you don't have any part time players because um, that that's the only way you're going to make up for it. And something that Scott has talked a lot about and why he's not intentionally trying to draft steals early is because that category is just so independent of anything else. Obviously, yeah. when you hit a home run, you help in batting average because you're getting a hit. You get a run, you get an RBI. You could get multiple RBIs at a time depending on how many players are on base. So those things are all kind of correlated. The only thing that isn't is steals. And frankly, that's why they're so tough to come by. And speaking of tough, the run scored category, it is a struggle out here. There's really not a lot of players being drafted late that are expected to uh, contribute in this category. So you really want to make sure you get as many of those four or five category contributors early in your draft as you can, Chris. And here's a really, really interesting stat. Among teams that won their league last season, 49.3% of them finished first in runs. Wow. And you know what? That is amazing. I bet that they wound up with at least one Toronto Blue Jay on their team. Maybe even multiple. Yeah, that's probably. But (laughs) yeah, I I found that fascinating. That's by far the highest. That has the highest correlation with winning your league, at least in 2021 CBS 12 Team Roto Leagues. Uh, than any other category. The second highest was RBI. And I think that makes intuitive sense because the three lowest saves, only 21.9% of first place teams were first in saves. Okay. Only 23.8% were worst, were first in stolen bases. And only 23.1% were first in average. Those are basically the three categories that impact the other ones least. You know, there isn't much correlation between batting average and overall road of production. You can be a good batting average source and not a good player. Um, whereas runs in RBI, if you're going to lead those, it probably means you've got a lot of really good players who are playing a lot. Um, but I thought that was fascinating that if you, if you were first place in runs in 2021, you basically had a, you, you had a coin flips chance to win your league. 
is how it worked out. That is unbelievable. <laughs> that really is. But again, you know, Chris, I, I think that if your team came in first place in runs, they probably also performed really well yeah. in RBI and yep. and home runs. So again, yeah, those, those things are all they're correlated, correlated highly. Yeah. So, so that's if you're gonna target three any three categories, you know, home runs, runs, and RBI would be the three to go for because they they have the highest correlation with winning uh, in fantasy. For the run scored category to win it to come in first place, you needed one thousand one hundred and seventeen. That's 79.8 runs per offensive player. So nearly 80 runs per player. That mm-hmm. is a lot. And I mentioned it's tough to find this late in your drafts. Joey Gallo is projected for 86 runs. He's got right around a 180 ADP. Alex Verdugo projected for 85. He's a little bit higher, 164 ADP. Matt Chapman projected for 79. His ADP is 185. Max Kepler, if he can bounce back, he's projected for 78. His ADP is actually close to 300. And then Enrique Hernandez, he's projected for 77. He led off a large majority of the season last year for the Red Sox. His ADP is 216.9. Chris, anyone here that you like more than the rest? Joey Gallo, Verdugo, Chapman, Max Kepler, Enrique Hernandez, specifically for runs. I mean, Gallo, I think, obviously stands out because he's a high-on-base percentage guy um, who drives himself in quite a bit as well. So... Yeah, I like him at a 180 ADP. And Alex Verdugo, you know, I'm not sure how good he's ever going to be. And I think he is one of those guys that if you draft him, you're going to have to make up ground somewhere else. He'll be a very good source of batting average. That and runs are probably it. He scored 88 runs last season. He was on something like a... Something close to a hundred run pace in 2020. So I think he will, you know, hit 290, probably score 90 runs. I, I think he's a pretty good value where he's going. You just have to understand you're going to hit, need to find power and yeah. run and RBI. Yeah, I don't think he's ever going to come close to the player we thought he was going to be or based on his uh, prospect status coming up. But He's a perfect glue guy. You know, if you take power early on and maybe even sacrifice some batting average, he gives mm-hmm. you the categories that are, are pretty hard to find at this point in the draft. So yeah. batting average and run scored together, just really not going to give you much power. And he'll chip in like six to eight steals. For RBI, it's basically the same players that are going to give you home runs late. It's Jorge Soler, Bobby Dahlbeck, Miguel Sano, A. Eugenio Suarez, and Adam Duvall. I, I did want to quickly mention on A. Eugenio Suarez, I'm a little bit interested just at the ADPs, going around pick 200, and he had a monster September last year. It was a weird season for him. They tried to play him at shortstop. I think he's still kind of getting over the shoulder surgery he had a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. But in September, he hit 370 with a 1268 OPS. No one is expecting that. But if he can just hit, if he could hit 240 plus with 30 plus homers and, and 90 plus RBI, he's worth this draft pick at, at pick 200. So. Just thought I would mention that on Eugenio Suarez. Steals. Steals are fun. Not really. 149 is what you needed last year, but actually 133 based on our conversation earlier. 10.6 steals per offensive player. And uh, for those who want to put less of an emphasis on steals, maybe you just want to finish the middle of the pack. You needed 102 to finish sixth place in the category. Mm -hmm. That's 7.3 steals per offensive player. Who can you target late in your drafts? Okay. Hold your nose, cover your eyes, cover your ears. It's going to be pretty hard to do. You won't be able to hear the podcast. But 
Tyler Wade is projected for 21 steals. His ADP is 453. Uh, he's projected to be the Angels' starting shortstop as of now. They're probably going to bring somebody in. I don't know who that somebody's going to be. Andres Jimenez projected for 18. Raimel Tapia projected for 17. Nicky Lopez projected for 16. And Garrett Hampson also projected for 16. And it's tough to admit, Chris, but I recently drafted Garrett Hampson in a 15-team Roto League. It's a draft and hold format. As my fifth outfielder, I really needed speed. I think he's probably going to give 15 to 20 and probably not much else. So you really don't want to be looking for speed at this point of your draft. You know, the nice thing about it in a draft and hold league in particular is, you know, in in a best ball format, I guess, would be you're probably only going to get the stolen base games from him because he's going to do so little otherwise. Right. That like... The game where he gets a stolen base, well, he probably had one hit at least. So you've got that going for you. Um, not not necessarily someone you want in a league where you actually have to like put him in your lineup and deal with the ups and downs because he's pretty bad. But that's the case with all these players. And it, it, it does highlight how if you want to compete in stolen bases, you do need to... You need to get them early because... If you try to make up for a stolen base deficiency late, you're going to end up having guys in your lineup who just aren't worth playing. I mean, Tyler Wade, Tyler Wade is not going to be worth playing even if he steals 21 bases. Like that is correct. It's just going to be really, really hard to live with what you're getting from him or what you're not getting from him elsewhere. That's not to say that, you know, I don't disagree with Scott in that, you know, I don't think you should just be pushing stolen bases up your draft board and making it a huge priority, but you can't necessarily just ignore it. Mm-hmm. And this is why, you know, this exercise actually highlights why I think what Merrifield is probably underrated because he's a probably a very good source of batting average in a lot of at-bats. He's led the, led the majors in at-bats three years in a row. He's going to steal a bunch of bases. And because he gets so much volume, he's going to score a decent amount of runs. You know, he's going to help you in three of those categories. And so... I, I do think getting someone like him who's not a zero uh, in multiple categories is uh, you know is more helpful than it seems. Yeah, he's really not a zero anywhere. He doesn't contribute in power, but yeah. he doesn't hurt you either. He'll give you, he's, you know, 10 to 15 home runs. He'll leave you behind the pace in home runs and RBI. But when you compare that to Rymel Tapia, who's <laughs> going to leave you behind the pace in everything but stolen bases eh, the you know, ba- that, that's the batting average that's what can be most okay. of these guys are like Nicky Lopez might help you in batting average in addition to steals but yeah it's really really hard to find stolen bases that are from productive players for sure let's move over to the pitching side for wins you needed 99 to finish in first place last year in a 12 team roto league that means you needed 11 wins per nine pitchers. So obviously you have nine pitcher spots, but you'll need even more of those from your starters because obviously you can't really expect relievers to get you 11 wins per spot. So, I mean, you really shouldn't expect it from any of your relievers. So you probably need something more like 12 or 13 wins per each of your, you know, if you start six starting pitchers or seven starting pitchers, uh, that's what you should be aiming for. The problem, wins are... Pretty much impossible to predict. Yeah, Look at it's nonsense. Like Sandy Alcantara <laughs> last year. I get it, the Marlins are bad, but this guy was one of four pitchers to throw two hundred plus innings. And I think he had nine wins and sixteen losses. He 
he was amazing and he just didn't get run support. You know, pitchers mm-hmm. only have so much control over this. You want to find pitchers that go deep into their starts, obviously, who are on good teams, who have expected to have solid run support, and who have a pretty good bullpen. But, you know, good luck finding those pitchers because they are few and far between. It, it's a pretty fluky stat, but the ones that I found uh, projected for at least 11 wins next year, Chris, going late in drafts, Herman Marquez, Hyunjin Ryu, and Marco Gonzalez. Yeah, Marquez and, and Ryu especially, I, I think, are are nice players to target because, I mean, Ryu, he's had one bad season. Like, basically one bad season ever. Uh, he's been one of the more consistent players and pitchers in baseball, and maybe he just lost it last season and he can't be good again. And, and, you know, it's entirely possible, I guess. But betting on a bounce back at 200 overall is a very good idea. Ramon Marquez, we know what he is. He's a very good pitcher who's stuck in a bad situation. If he gets traded, man, gosh, he might be a top 25 starting pitcher, top 30 starting pitcher. And so I do like the idea of drafting him. It's just if you have a week where he's a two-star pitcher and both are at cores, probably want to avoid him. Um, Marco Gonzalez, you're hoping you get the, you know, the good side of variance and he gets a decent amount of wins and a decent ERA and whip. But he's not going to have as much control over those things as you know better pitchers will. I, the thing about wins that's really really difficult is you need a lot of wins to win your fantasy league. Like it's just it's just true. I had somebody respond when I tweeted out the uh, the chart with all the the player the categories, and he finished fifteenth in the main event last season. I can't remember this person's name, um, but he responded to me posting that with. I finished 15th in the NFBC main event with as many wins as I think it was the average eighth place team in a 12 team league, which was like 76. And that's heartbreaking because that means his team was awesome everywhere else. And if he had gotten even somewhat good variance on the win side, he would have probably won a bunch of money. Um, (laughs) Jeez. That's tough. But yeah, your, your average team that won their league in 2021 finished on average third in, in wins. Uh, that's the fourth highest for any of the categories. 35.3% of leagues teams that won their league in 2021 won wins as well. That was the fourth highest, fifth highest. So you need a lot of wins, but there's no way to chase wins. Like You get wins with a lot of strikeouts and you get wins with a good ERA and good whip. Like that's wins are a result of those things. And it's not that pitchers don't have control over them. Obviously they do wins correlate with good pitchers, but it's think about it more like this. The best pitcher in baseball probably has, I mean, when it's not Jacob deGrom, the best pitcher in baseball probably has a range of wins from like 15 to 22 or 14 to 22. And, what 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 outcome you're going to get is impossible to predict because it's based on so many factors and so yeah like wins you can't kind you can't really target wins it's like pitchers who go deep on good teams and are good but you know those guys tend to be pretty expensive saves are equally as frustrating uh 
honestly, even more frustrating. They are the stolen bases of the pitching side. They are an independent statistic. Well, not necessarily. If you have a good reliever, obviously they're going to help you in ERA and whip and strikeouts, uh, but they're also pretty hard to predict as well. You needed 92 to finish in first place last year. That's 10.2, assuming that you have three closers on your team. What do you need to finish just sixth in the category? Again, maybe you don't want to completely tank it, but you want to just kind of compete somewhere in the middle. 61 saves last year, so you needed 20.3 saves per three relievers in your starting lineup. And some save options later on in drafts right now. Taylor Rogers with the Twins, Lucas Sims with the Reds, Dylan Floro with the Marlins. I do think the Marlins will bring somebody in, whether it's Kenley mm-hmm. Jansen or an Ian Kennedy or like a Brad Boxberger, someone like that. Uh, I, I think it's very likely. Lou Trevino with the Oakland A's. He could be traded. We don't know. And then Gregory Soto with the Detroit Tigers. I know at the end of last season, you know, other people have brought this up that AJ Hinch named Gregory Soto their closer. But if you read more about it, he was kind of joking with the media because it was something that they would ask him all the time. Like, Mm -hmm. why won't you name your closer? So the season ended and then he just, you know, to mess with them, he was like, well, Gregory Soto is our closer. I don't know that that actually means that Gregory Soto will be the closer, uh, you know, entering this season, you know, can Michael Fulmer still be worked in there? I think that's certainly possible. Uh, Chris, anyone on this list stand out to you? I believe you were a fan of Taylor Rogers last year. I mean, Taylor Rogers is just a good pitcher. He's very good. Um, you know, that, that's just kind of the thing is that if you're going to target one of these late guys, the whichever late round reliever ends up being a good contributor for fantasy is going to come entirely down basically to which one of the late round relievers becomes their team's closer and stays there. And that's going to be impossible to predict. But Taylor Rogers has closing experience, and we know he's a good pitcher. So I think he's definitely a, a target there. Um, the, the rest of them, like, what are the chances that any of these guys get 30 saves? What are the chances that any of the other guys on their teams get 30 saves? Like, that's all, all it's going to come down to. And this is why if you have to punt a category or avoid a category in drafts especially, I think, not necessarily punt, but avoid a category in drafts. Saves have to be the one because they are the least predictable. And, you know, they don't have a huge impact on winning. In fact, your your average first place team last season, only 21.9% of first place teams last season led their cat their league in saves. The the average finished fourth. So you know, fourth place in saves was 87. So basically that's one, I don't know, 70, sorry, 70 saves. That's basically one elite closer who remains the closer for the full season. And then what, a save every week and a half from some other source. Like that, that's basically um, the way it is. So I think you can either go the draft Liam Hendricks and, that's it. But I think if you draft Liam Hendricks, like I don't think there's any reason to draft another closer. Chris, I know that we've mentioned this multiple times and we've made the fantasy football reference, right? Hero RB. It was a big mm-hmm. strategy this year, drafting one running back in your first two rounds and then and waiting on the position. And Statistically, the, the optimal way to, based on the research that I've done. And I think we're kind of trending that way in terms of the closer category as well. Mm-hmm. I think that you should... If you want to be somewhat competitive in the category, even try to finish in the middle of the pack, I think trying to get one of the top 
six, seven, eight at the position just because those are the guys that have the safest role. Uh, the sa- mm-hmm. They are the safest in their respective closer role. Uh, and they also help you in ERA and whip and, and strikeouts and obviously saves. I think that is the route that I want to go down this year. And, and it's typically what I like to do. I'm probably not going to wind up with like Hendricks or Hader. Those guys just go too early for me. But yeah. Rysel Iglesias, Ryan Presley, Edwin Diaz, Emmanuel Class A, that second tier group, even like a Jordan Romano or a Will Smith, I really want to get one of those guys. And then maybe I'll, I'll attack the position later on in the drafts as well. Yeah, the, the problem, the one thing I would say is they don't help you as much in ERA and whip as you probably think yeah. because their inning totals are so low. So like, a a closer with a two seven ERA over seventy innings has roughly the same impact on your average fantasy team's ERA as a starter with like a three six ERA over one hundred eighty innings. So that's that's the thing to remember is that you know just because you have a couple of really good closers doesn't necessarily mean like you're still going to have work to do in strikeouts, wins, ERA, and WHIP. All right, we're up against it here, so let's just uh, quickly run through strikeouts, ERA, and WHIP. What did you need to win those categories? For strikeouts, you needed 1,546 last year. That's right around 172 strikeouts per your nine position uh, pitcher spots. ERA, you needed a 3.28, and WHIP, you needed a 1.10. And someone, some pitchers that you can find later on in drafts that can help in strikeouts. Herman Marquez is up there. Tarek Skubal with the Detroit Tigers. John Gray, now out of Coors Field. He's always been good at strikeouts. ERA and whip, a little bit more questionable. Nick Pavetta, another one. Strikeouts are solid. ERA and whip, eh, probably don't want to get involved there. Jordan Montgomery, he's always been over a strikeout per inning, but the ratios are just kind of what they are. They've been yep. mediocre, high threes mm. ERA. Low volume. Yeah, 1.25 whip, you know, so keep those things mm. in mind. I, I think he'll give you strikeouts. I just, there's some people that think that he's ready to take that next step and, uh, like he's always been a high swinging strike rate guy. It's just it's it's never come to fruition. He, he's in terms of his pitch mix. He's also like a jack of all trades, master of none. Where he just like right. He's got like four decent pitches. He's got really good secondary stuff, Chris. The fastball mm-hmm. gets crushed. That's what yeah. I've like looking into the numbers. Uh, I know last year, I think he either started throwing. I think he started throwing his four seamer more than his sinker, and it's typically his sinker surprise which gets crushed. So. Maybe that's something he does more this year. Use the four seamer up in the zone and you know throw the breaking stuff down, and maybe that'll help him. But uh, he hasn't really shown the ability to do that consistently yet. Mm-hmm. In terms of ERA, Eduardo Rodriguez is someone stands out now with the Detroit Tigers. And then really for just ERA and WHIP, it, it's these late round pitchers that we know have good stuff. Maybe we question the role, um, but obviously you know. We, we like them for a reason. It's guys like Aaron Ashby and Christian Javier, Luis Patino, Michael Kopech, Tanner Houck. For specifically whip, I noticed Bailey Ober, Joe Ryan, Josiah Gray, and I can see Tristan McKenzie. He allows mm-hmm. so many fly balls and a low batting average against that you know the ERA will, will probably be a little bit higher. He gives up some home runs, but he really does not give up a lot of hits. And as a result, yeah. usually the whip is really, really strong for Tristan McKenzie. Any of these late-round targets that you, you maybe like more than the consensus, Chris. You got to trust the process. And Eduardo, Eduardo Rodriguez is a, you know, maybe the poster boy for trust the prospect with pitchers this year because he was so much better 
then his numbers, you know, his underlying numbers were so much better than what he actually earned last season. He actually, I think, was top 15 in, in FIP, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, he was very, very good in terms of those underlying numbers, XERA, Sierra, all of those. And so I think he can actually be quite helpful in ERA if he gets a little better uh, luck. And that was coming back from a very scary heart condition uh, caused by his uh, COVID diagnosis in 2020. So I, I will I will be drafting a, a significant number of Eduardo Rodriguez shares this season. I like Eduardo Rodriguez quite a bit myself. I think I have him ranked inside of my top 140, uh, 140, <laughs> 45 starting pitchers. I would hope yep. he's inside of my top 145 starting pitchers. That, you know, if he wasn't, that means something went Just terribly squeaks wrong. squeaks in. Yeah, uh, but he's inside of my top 45. I, I, I like the move to, uh, to Detroit quite a bit. All right, we're going to wrap there. For Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again on Monday. Bye-bye. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.